You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Lou Anders. He's the editor of Pyre SF. Thank you for joining me, Lou. My pleasure to be here as always. Lou, you just came back from the uh, most recent Worldcon. Uh, tell us what your thoughts about this uh, latest convention. And, and you know, um, we hear like about a, a tiny blip about Worldcon, and you'll get inundated with the San Diego Comic Con. And I think that's an interesting contrast. Well, it's a very interesting contrast. And I actually went from one to the other, so the contrast was front and center. Um, I was in San Diego first, uh, you know, 125,000 people, audience 40% female. I'd say the majority of the audience were in their teens and 20s. Um, the Really? The, really. I, I, you know, the, the stereotype of the fat guy dressed as Klingon was few and far between. I, I would estimate that maybe 1% of the audience. Um, what I saw and what really, really blew me away was the overwhelming number of young people of both sexes who were coming to the Comic-Con because it's the coolest thing they could think of to do. You know, the, the amount of people in costume, we're really living in the post-cosplay world now where um, there was an article in some magazine recently where someone pulled out the one fat guy stuffed into his, his uh, superhero costume and said, this is why I don't go to World Con, this is why I don't go to conventions. But um, that was not what I saw. What I saw was a lot of beautiful young animals of both sexes you know, who were who looked very, very good in their superhero and anime outfits. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the that genre has conquered and is completely mainstream and, you know, you saw a lot of young teenage boys and girls who thought the coolest thing they could think of to do on a Saturday was dress up like Supergirl or Catwoman or Catwoman. Joker. You can't get any better than Catwoman as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean it, it you know, it it, it in all seriousness, I was very, very impressed in what has been a huge cultural shift. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that people who still pick on the, the obvious stereotypes are now grossly misinformed and out of step. And I went from there to Worldcon, and, and only, let me say up front, I love Worldcon, and this Worldcon was one of the best Worldcons I've ever attended, uh, both personally and professionally. I had a fantastic time at it. Uh, on the professional side, I think, and I didn't really realize until I got there, because I just hadn't had time to sit down and think, but I had three stories I edited on the Sidewise ballot, one of which won. I had three covers I art directed on the Chesley. I won a Chesley for Best Art Director. I had two stories I edited on the Hugo ballot, and I was up for the Hugo myself for Best Editor. So in terms of, uh, oh, and they had me on 14 panels, which was massive. But, um, you know, so in terms of, of just professionally speaking, it was a very, very good Worldcon for Pyre. Um, and me personally, I thought it was one of the most enjoyable Worldcons because the quality of the programming was so good. Um, you know, I've been at Worldcons and other conventions where they had panels on subjects like why do panels drift off topic? Discuss for an hour. <laughs> and um, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I um, you know I have been on panels where where they had such frivolous topics and it really maddened me. One of the things that they did at this Worldcon, which was brilliant. They had Paul Krugman. Am I is it Krugman? Krugman. The, the I think it's Nobel Krugman, yeah. Krugman, and Charlie Strauss. What a great combination. Uh, fantastic. And, and, you know, that filled a 
huge auditorium. There was probably in excess of a thousand people there. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I went in expecting to see Charlie asking Krugman questions about economics, and then the two of them spiraling off into topics above my head. Instead, really, what it was for most of the first hour was Krugman going. I'm a huge fan of yours. I've read all your books. Where do you get your ideas? Tell me what the future is going to be like. How about in this book? How did you come up with this book? And I, was, I, was, I did not expect to see him turn into such a fanboy. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. But, you know, that I, I came out of there. I, was, I saw it with John Picasso, and we walked out of there, and John looked at me and said, this is exactly the kind of thing that Comic-Con can't do and Worldcon can do. Mm-hmm. And, you and, know, and it was an engaging, relevant, exciting debate. It got covered in... It got major press coverage. You know, it was an important talk. Um, it was, was a relevant. talk involving literature and, and and you know and its intersection with the real world, with, with the real world, sciences, and economics, with governments and the economies. It's exactly what science fiction should be doing and should be addressing. And it was really exciting, and it was fun, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and it was well well attended. Um, so I came out of there thinking that's, that's fantastic. That's exactly the kind of thing. That Worldcon should be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, on a smaller scale, the level of the programming this time was really, really good. They had, uh, I got, it was my privilege to be on a, a program with a number of art directors and artists on how covers get put together, where people had brought in, um, pre- you know, slide presentations of everything from rough sketches to variant treatments of type. And you know, the art, uh, one of the designers from Bain Books was there and explained why she chose certain fonts over other fonts based on how they related to the final sketch of the of the illustration when it came in, in final form. Mm, interesting. Uh, you know, and that was, again, a, a very meaty, uh, you know, it filled the room. Mm-hmm. I came from people all day, what a great panel it was. I felt like just overall the general level of the programming was way up. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> uh, neither, to praise nor da- neither to praise nor damn Caesar. Um, frustrated because looking at the Comic-Con demographic, looking at the Worldcon demographic, was at uh, Comic-Con, spoke with an editor from a major house, said, I'll see you in Montreal, right? Her response was, no, actually, you won't. I said, why? She said, well, I don't go. I'm not going to go because none of my authors want to go. Then really? Go to Comic-Con instead. And, you know, Worldcon attendances are shrinking mm. while MediaCon attendances are exploding. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think Worldcon needs to turn into a MediaCon. Uh, anytime you suggest anything to... to to beef up attendance at Worldcon, you know, people appear out of the woodwork screaming at you, we're not Comic-Con, we don't want to be Comic-Con, as if that were even possible, mm-hmm. you know. But um, Worldcon's definitely on a downward trajectory right now, and I, you know, I love Worldcon. It's a great privilege to be there every year and to have it there, and I mm-hmm. I would hate for Worldcon to go away, uh, and or, or, you know, perhaps more likely simply shrink to the size of a small regional con, mm-hmm. and and become no longer you know relevant for me as a publisher to go. You mm-hmm. know, I could certainly see like I, if you projected forward on this trajectory five or five years from now or so, going wow, I can't really justify my company spending the money to send me here anymore, and that would be very 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 sad. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I think Worldcon can do without changing is just maximize what's there, like they did with the Krugman Strauss debate mm-hmm. you know, at this particular Worldcon. Well, I mean, they did a good job with Neil Gaiman. They had Neil Gaiman as a guest of honor, and so you saw tons of teenage Montreal kids lined up around the block for him. But also at the Worldcon, uh, Bill Willingham 
the DC Vertigo Arthur of Fables, the hottest thing going at DC right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, no one really knew Bill was there. To walk around with Bill at this convention is to bump into an endless succession of people who go, oh, my God, are you Bill Willingham? I didn't know you'd be here. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I'm, I'm going to mispronounce her name. Pia Guerra, the, the cover artist of Why the Last Man, was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was another comic book professional whose name I've forgotten that was there. And, you know, just by alerting people to the presence of some of the people who are already there, I think WorldCon could pull in another thousand people. And also cross-fertilize those people, people who have come to, you know, really enjoy stuff uh, like uh, Fatalist and and, uh, Why the Last Man, Um, because those are works, essentially, of science fiction. There's no reason why the people who don't, who read Why the Last Man wouldn't absolutely love the the Charlie Strauss uh, fantasy series. Oh, exactly. Uh, I mean, that, that stuff is totally instantly mainstream accessible you know, and a lot of fun. And you see Charlie up there talking to Paul Krugman, and you think, wow, you know, this is the kind of stuff that I want to read because well, it's fun and intelligent. You know, on the two people who were not there this year but are usually regular attenders of Worldcon, Scott Westerfeld and Garth Nix, mm-hmm. you know, both are hugely famous YA authors. You cannot walk into a Barnes & Noble without seeing a huge display of all the Uglies books. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they come and they stay in the bar and no one really knows who they are. And maybe they get put on one or two panels about writing for kids and they and people marginalize them. And, you know, my God, why don't we have a YA guest of honor slot, you know? Well, is there uh, a YA award category? No. And why isn't That's there? insane. I mean, you're worried about the graying of fandom? <laughs> have YA guest of honor. You brought Neil Gaiman in, bring Stephanie Meyer in. Yeah. And boom, the Worldcon attendance quadruples. You know? <laughs> I, yeah, I know. I, I uh, was looking, trying to find out how much a, a signed copy of one of her books would cost, and it's like uh, there were like two for sale, and they're like five grand. I mean, you bring Stephanie Meyer there, you're going to like uh, blow out the convention. And, and also, I think, you know, Bring an interesting new voice in. Well, exactly. I mean, we, we, I, I just gave a lecture at a, a library symposium in Texas on fantasy books and what fantasy books you should have in your collection. And the springboard for the lecture was the January report from the NEA that we are experiencing the largest surge in reading in history, and the demographic that has risen the most is the 18- to 24-year-olds. This so you've got this news. generation that were 13 mm-hmm. when the first Harry Potter came out. Mm-hmm. You know, they read Sorcerer's Stone at 13. They ran one book a year. They just hit their 20s. Now they're ready to read Lev now Grossman, The Magicians. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Who was there? <laughs> Lev, Lev was Grossman. There. Again, <laughs> Lev was at Worldcon. I mean, again, you don't have to do much. You just have to have someone who's informed enough to recognize the people as they show up on the guest list and maximize their presence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you have to let the local news media know, look who's going to be there. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's, I know... I'm going to get a thousand emails from people saying you don't understand how complicated what you just said is, um, and I'm sure it is. You do know, but you do yeah. know how complicated it is, and yet it it can be done. And you know, it's not it, it it's not rocket science to call up a, a few local newspapers and have them talk. You know, say here are these people. We've got you know Garth Nix, and this is actually going to happen at the Garth Nix is going to be at the World Fantasy Convention here mm-hmm. in San Jose. Uh, later this year, and, and you know it's not going to be rocket science to to call up you know the San Jose Mercury News and the San Francisco Chronicle and say hey here's one of the top YA authors 
talking, you know, about uh, fantasy literature and, you know, emphasize the literary aspects of it, the reading aspects of it, and not necessarily the fantastic aspects of it. That's really, to a certain extent, uh, um, less interesting than the fact that people are reading. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the re- that the reading fantasy is great, but that the reading at all is the real news. Well, you know, again, too, it's not that, that, that there's a complaint. I had a tremendous, tremendous time at work on it. Mm-hmm. It's that I'm looking ahead, and I can see it dwindling. And, you know, I'm talking to more and more publishers who are pulling out. I'm talking to more and more authors who are pulling out. I, I also was hanging around with some younger authors who had never been to a Worldcon before. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were wondering about the relevance of Worldcon to their careers and whether mm-hmm. it was even necessary. Well, um, speaking of uh, the World Fantasy Convention and the World Science Fiction Convention, um, I'm looking at a couple of interesting books that you guys have coming out in, in the next few months. Uh, for the fantasy readers, you've got the second book in a new series by... Here we go. Mark Chadbourne. This guy is really great. And here's a series, I think, that could really cross over to mainstream readers, to the Harry Potter readers, and to the Lev Grossman readers out there. Now, are you looking at the Age of Misrule, or are you looking at the galley for his upcoming Silver Skull? The Silver Skull. The Age of Misrule is out, and and people who aren't reading that, who, who have read fantasy and aren't reading that, need to really get to that fast, because that, to me, is a really superb series. I love that series, and I just think, when are they going to make a movie of it? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's, it's kind of like uh, Lord of the Rings kind of erupting in, at the end of the 20th century. <laughs> oh, it completely is, and it screams Guerrero del Toro. Yeah. You know, I, del Toro, just looking at the covers that Picasso did, you can see how del Toro could make those things come to life. So mm-hmm. um, Silver Skull. Swords of Alabama. So excited about this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I could speak in Hollywood speak for a minute, it's Susanna Clarke meets Patrick O'Brien meets Ian Fleming. Mm. Uh, Will Swift is England's greatest super spy in the war against Spain. The only man who can walk into any tavern and get his martini shaken, not stirred. You know the drill. Only that's a cover story because we're not really in the war with Spain so much as we are in the war with Barry. Mm-hmm. And the Fae have been arming the Spanish. And it is a fabulous kind of James Bond in Elizabethan England mashup, and just, you know, like a Bond book, there'll be three books so far, although, you know, this is a standalone novel, and then there will be additional, you know, Will Swift will return. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, well, I hope so. Oh, yes, in two more books at least. And so, like a Bond, that we will go to all the exotic locations around the globe. Only in Elizabethan times. I like that idea. That's a great idea. Now, you also have uh, Christine Catherine Rush, uh, Diving the Wreck, Diving into the Wreck. Tell us about that. Well, this is a story in three parts, two of which were already published in Asimov's and each individually received the Asimov's Reader's Choice Award. Mm, Well, that seems like a a good plan to to finish it up. It's a nice uh, short novel. Exactly. The third one can't stand on its own, so it won't be appearing in Asimov's. Mm. Together they tell one story about a woman named Boss who is a solitary person who makes her living diving wrecks. Mm -hmm. She goes out in space and she finds derelict spacecraft and then she goes into them to salvage what she can and come back and sell it. And it's very much the metaphor of undersea diving and all the dangers, you know, when you're swimming in something that could collapse on you at any minute or blow out or et cetera. And um, she's diving a particular wreck when she discovers it is 
thousands of years older than it should be for the distance it has come. Mm. It contains a game-changing technology that could really shake the universe up. Mm. That's all I want to say about it, but it's well. awesome. And again, we make a fantastic movie. You know, it's a great vehicle for like a Sigourney Weaver. Mm. Well, it strikes me too as I'm looking at these books. This is a you. You guys are really getting. Uh, a, I'm glad to see uh, diving into the wreck as a, you, you know a real, you know, absolutely obvious science fiction novel. I mean, science, yep. science fiction, fiction, science fiction, and and the Silver Skull is you know uh, has I think uh, you know gives you uh, somewhat of a fantasy, but also a more literary and you know mainstream feel to me. I mean, very much. The, the Silver Skull ought to be read by people who. I mean, I mean, in addition to fantasy readers. People who read things like the historian mm-hmm. or, or Susanna Clark, you know, it's it's in, in the Fey are used like enemy agents in a in a in you know in a, like Smirsh, mm-hmm. like Spectre. <laughs> so they're a presence on the edges, and when they come in, it's marvelous. But the magic is very much um, around the corner for for at least the start of the book, and it gives it it, it gives it a very cinematic feel. It would actually make a fantastic BBC movie. Oh, that's well. We'll we'll look forward to that and to increased convention attendance. And uh, I mean, this the this uh, pan the the interview with uh, Krugman and uh, Straw seems like a really uh, a, a map for the future for for the uh, um for Worldcon as well as as you know getting these people who you know uh, why the last man and you know I, I think so and I, I mean to really bring it home I had come from Comic Con where I'd been around 125,000 teenagers mm-hmm. who are very excited about all things science fictional and fantastic and I'd gone to Worldcon and I'd seen how small it was and I'd seen how old its demographic was um, you know not that I have anything against older readers love older readers I just want this convention to be here in 10 and 20 years and I was very the genre too. I went to the Krugman um I went into the Krugman Strauss lecture depressed mm. and seeing how many people turned out for it and how good it was and how engaging it was. I came out with renewed energy thinking, yes, this is the kind of thing that Worldcon can do to maximize its own value. It doesn't have to turn into a Comic-Con to be relevant. It doesn't have to you know, grow to astronomical proportions. It can just take advantage of both the guests who are already there and the love for this stuff, you know, that exist in the mainstream media already. I mean, Krugman was there because he is a huge fan of Charles Strauss. Mm-hmm. You know, Lev Grossman was there, so we had two time columnists there. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just let's just reach out to the people who are already coming because they love this stuff as much as we do. I agree, and they did it. I was very proud of it. I've been speaking with Lou Anders. He's the editor of Pyre SF Imprint of Prometheus Books. Thank you for joining me, Lou. My pleasure. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.